This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Today we're going to talk a lot about gambling. If you've uh, missed the news that just broke about 30 minutes ago, Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators has been suspended 41 games for violating the NHL's gambling rules. Now, a couple of things here before... We bring Ian Mendez to the program from The Athletic, who covers the Ottawa Senators, uh, a mainstay on this program, and others as well, and leading authority on everything Ottawa Senators. Um, it is not believed that Shane Pinto gambled on NHL games. Not exactly sure what the violation was specifically. There have been situations, as Elliot Friedman mentioned in his piece at sportsnet.ca right now, uh, where players have been uh, fined slash suspended for gambling on team facilities. I don't know if that's the situation here. Uh, a couple of other things as well. The, um, the the suspension, by the way, as it stands right now, is 35 games. The suspension actually started with game one uh, of the Ottawa Senators season. Uh, it is half the season, 41 games. And the rule about not being able to sign after December the 1st is being waived in this situation as well. So I would assume uh, that after December the 1st or at some point, he will sign a league minimum or a close to league minimum deal, uh, maybe as a thank you to the Ottawa Senators for not going public with this previous. Um, One of the sidebars to all this is, you know, Pierre Dorian, general manager of the Ottawa Senators, has taken a lot of bullets and a lot of daggers and a lot of insults and a lot of speculation about what he's doing um, for his inability, quote, I'm using ironic quotation marks there, inability to sign Shane Pinto, and now we know why. Uh, Ian Mendez from The Athletic joins me now. Ian, thanks so much for joining me today. Is there anything from that opening, sort of trying to get all the, the facts out as we know it, is there anything you think I left out there? No, not at all. And I think what's important here is you said, uh, you know, we're not sure exactly what the violation was, right? Like, we don't know exactly what he bet on, where he placed those bets, how much money it was, was it, you know. And so it's it's interesting, right? A 41-game suspension leads me to believe that, I mean, I mean, let's put it this way. Like, if they found out that he gambled on his own team or gambled on the NHL, I, I think it's going to be a harder fine than that, right? Like, so... Gone. Um, gone. There, there, yeah, gone. And, and, and not really a, a question. So a 41-game suspension leads you to believe that uh, maybe it does fall in line with, you know, we've seen a handful of NFL. Like, it's interesting. Like, I, I think when you think historically, Jeff, you think of the first sport that comes to mind when you think of gambling is baseball, right? And you think of Pete Rose. Baseball. You think of the, yeah. The 19, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 1919 uh, White Sox and, 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 and all of that. Um, you know, and, and, and then the NFL, it's really come into play in the last couple of years. Calvin Ridley, pretty a very good wide receiver, took a full year suspension uh, for mm-hmm. gambling. Um, you know, last year, I think, what was it, a handful of members of the Detroit Lions, and, and this year, I know, a uh, lineman with Tennessee, suspended, and they weren't even betting on the NFL. They were just, hey, they're at the team's practice facility, and maybe they're betting on baseball, or they're betting on something else, and that's against the rules. So, maybe that's what happened here, and I think we do need to leave a lot of space to take a pause and, and, and you know, figure out what happened yes. here. But, clearly... If, if we know anything, and you know the NHL so well, Jeff, they do their due diligence. So, it, like, they, this was, you know, weeks of, of an investigation. This wasn't uh, 24 hours of an investigation. Yep. This, was, this was thorough on their part. 
Uh, it was. And just for some historical context, and if you're just joining us right now, Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators has been suspended 41 games for gambling uh, violations. Um, just so we have some historical context, this isn't the first time, you know, you mentioned, you know, the Shoeless Joe, you know, 1919 Chicago White Sox um, situation, various NFLers as well. The NHL has been touched by uh, sports gambling before, gambling on games themselves. Um, in the NHL, 1948, Billy Taylor of the Rangers, Don Gallinger of the Boston Bruins, uh, both suspended for life uh, for gambling on hockey. Billy Taylor had his um, suspension lifted, I believe, just before he passed. Um, Babe Pratt, 1946, uh, suspended for gambling as well. You know, there was a situation with Yarmir Yager. There was a situation with Thomas Vanek. But in the quote-unquote gambling area or legalized gambling area uh, that the NHL exists in right now. This is the first. And that sort of leads into another element of this discussion right now. And there isn't, Ian, one element of the game of hockey or one area really that I can see in the game of hockey that isn't touched by gambling at all. You know, we have a feature on this program. We see it on rink boards. We see it in commercials. We see it during intermissions. Uh, we see, you know, uh, NHL.com and here are the lines, etc. It, it's, it's become really ingrained in hockey culture in the last few seasons. I know for some it's, you know, can be jarring and harsh and some think it's too much and some think it's just fine very much and it adds a leather, another layer of interest or intrigue to a game. Um, do you have a thought on just, you know, maybe we really shouldn't be surprised at considering how gambling now is, you know, sort of hand to glove in hockey that something like this pops up? Well, think about this too, Jeff. Like the first NHL team to have a... a, a, a helmet sponsor that was gambling gambling related was the Ottawa Senators. Uh, a couple of years ago, they had a, a company, Bet99, and I think they've switched their name to Betway, whatever it is, but the Senators were the first team. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It is pervasive in our sport. You can't listen to a podcast, listen to a radio show, watch a broadcast, whatever, without being inundated with this. And it, it's interesting, right? Like, it felt like, again, I, I, using baseball as an example, like, like it, it felt like they were these one-offs over the years but now if you start to think about it, as I mentioned, look at the NFL. I think in the last 18 months, what, how many NFL players have been uh, suspended for gambling? Six, seven, eight? Uh, this is the NHL. And, and mm. we think those are the first. What does that tell you? It tells you that these young people are now maybe, like you said, it's at their fingertips, and maybe it's a little bit easier. And so, again, we have to wait on the facts on this one, right? Like, who knows? Like, Of course. Uh, you know, who knows? Exactly. Who knows? what this is but it it does open up as you mentioned a great conversation to be had about how do we handle this stuff and you know is there a way to put the genie back in the bottle and 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 when you watch television you watch a game on hockey night uh or uh, you know whatever Leafs regional senators regional whatever there's a good chance you're going to see that austin matthews Mm -hmm. at and i don't know the province of ontario talked about hey listen starting in 2024 we don't want athletes and celebrities endorsing this because it's dangerous. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an addiction that I don't know that we necessarily treat with the same level of seriousness as we do other addictions, but it's just as, as damaging to, to, to families and individuals. And, and, and I think this is a great opportunity for us to have those, those conversations in these spaces. Mm-hmm. 
You know, one of the things I'm curious about here, anytime a player is suspended for whether it's, you know, a, a PED violation, you know, one of the things that the athlete always talks about is how much he's let his team down and how much, you know, he's, he's sorry, he apologized for letting his team down. I know this, this just happened, but, you know, one of the things here that we wonder about, and now Senators players and DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian, like everybody in the organization is going to be asked about this. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what other players on the Ottawa Senators say about this once the details come out. Yeah, and, and, and look, look, the Senators are playing, here's the irony too, Jeff, they, they're playing in, in, in or on Long Island today, which is lit, like that arena is a seven-minute drive from Shane Pinto's house. Like, so I can guarantee yeah. you that last night Shane probably got together with the guys. I think they all knew this was coming. DJ Smith was asked about it today um, at his availability because this news sort of just broke. And I believe the comment that he told reporters was essentially, we have Shane Pinto's back and we welcome him back with open arms. And he's a very popular guy um, in that room. I don't Mm -hmm. think there'll be any awkwardness on this one. I I really don't. Um, But again, this is just literally dropped within the last hour, right? So there's so much uh, uh, context that's needed. We want answers. (laughs) Yeah, we want answers right away because your show starts at 12 noon. Uh, But... But it's, but, it's, but it's utterly fascinating because we don't... I mean, really, if you think about it in the hockey world, Evander Kane yeah. was the only other one I could think of that in the last 10 or 15 years has been, you know... And it was, in Evander Kane's case, it was his ex-wife who uh, alleged on social media that uh, this was happening. The NHL yeah. undertook a thorough investigation on Evander Kane and found no wrongdoings. But, but this is a weird one because, like I said, like, it just doesn't feel like, like we've seen this happen in hockey before. Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators suspended 41 games for sports wagering in conversation with Ian Mendez from The Athletic, who covers uh, the Ottawa Senators. Um, one of the people that uh, I think of here is Pierre Dorian, general manager of the Ottawa Senators. And you're there, so you know what Dorian has heard about the quote-unquote inability to get a Shane Pinto deal done. Now we know why. I don't know exactly how long the investigation uh, stretches back. I don't know at at what point um, the Ottawa Senators had to disengage from contract talks to let the investigation finish itself up. Um, I don't think that, you know, Pierre Pierre Dorian is the kind of person that's going to do a I told you so um, type press conference or do a sort of victory lap for this is why the Shane Pinto situation, you know, didn't get, uh, didn't meet a resolution. But I think about this at how, how he's, 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 you know, he's, he's had to endure uh, a number of things said about him, you know, swords and daggers and, and all of it. You have a thought on Pierre Dorian through all of this and is he yeah, owed an apology? I, well, I don't know that he's owed an apology because I, I think it doesn't like it certainly Jeff exonerates him from at the point when the league alerted them, all the parties that there was an investigation to now and whether that was four weeks, six weeks, six, you know, that, that part again, we'll wait and see, but there was a huge window of time in June, July and August. And, and my guess would be like, he signed Tarasenko without this uh, knowledge. That, that's my guess. And, and we'll see how the timelines match up. But he signed Tarasenko in July. Um, he prioritized other people mm-hmm. over Pinto, I believe, before this happened. So, but, but there's a – boy, again, it's a, it's a tight one. Let me put it this way. The Ottawa Senators are capped out, and they don't have Shane Pinto signed. Um, that's a problem. Like, that's a problem that has nothing to do with Shane Pinto and, and, and the gambling story. 
and it's very much a reality they're living in now. Yeah. They don't have a – and they're capped out, and they don't even have this guy signed. So that uh, – you know, I, he certainly, I think, deserves a little bit of leeway for how maybe things have gone in the last few weeks. But I don't know that it gives them a yeah. free pass on the, on the entire cap being capped out. I, I, that's just me. Here's here's what I wonder about now, though, Ian. Now that this had, now that the you know the NHL is, you know, announcing this 41 game suspension uh, for Shane Pinto for sports wagering, um, I do wonder if the play now is that Pinto signs either a league minimum or close to a league minimum deal because the news didn't get out and Ottawa went out the door and around the block to make sure that there were no leaks around this one um i wonder if as maybe as a thank you maybe i'm being naive here ian you can tell me if you think i'm being naive here maybe shane pinto as a thank you just for the remainder of the season does a league minimum deal or something close to it well i think we can agree on this uh shane pinto doesn't have a lot of leverage now right like like whatever leverage he may have had it's, it's dissipated and so uh yeah i think i think you probably look at this and say the way that this was handled was probably the right way because I think it was really kept under wraps until probably the last, you know, four or five days is when it probably started to, you know, maybe kind of, uh, you know, leak out a little bit. And, uh, and But but I, I think now if you're Shane Pinto, like you, you, you do have to pretty much get something done uh, right away. And, and I guess you look at it too and you say, okay, well, I'm going to be suspended for 41 games if I'm going to be forfeiting salary – uh, I'm not getting paid anyway, right? Like, so, you, you know, I'm forfeiting less salary, I suppose, if you look at it from that perspective. But but they still will have to get them done, if I'm not mistaken, and we'll see how the, the mechanics of this work. When when a player is suspended, does the December 1st rule still apply to him? My my guess would be yes, that as no, an RFA, he's got... No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't? They're, they're waving that. They're wa- they no, they're wa- wa- I, I believe they're waving that one. Yeah, they're going to okay. wave that so one. That, there you go. See, that's that's something I just learned. This is why I joined the Jeff Merrick show, is that I can learn things about the CBA. Oh, my. Uh, um, so I wasn't sure of the mechanics of that. <laughs> I take it to the beach every summer. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I think, like, realistically, I think when I looked at it, I think the, the first game he could come back is like the middle of January against Philadelphia. And, I mean, if you're Shane Pinto, like, you, you have to start looking at that now, right? You have to start thinking, okay, well, now I can't come back and play in November and December the earliest I can come back is January, and I, at this point in my life, I need to get back and play. And so, yeah, I absolutely see the, the path towards just taking a minimum deal and, uh, and signing on the dotted line. Uh, let me ask you about the team then, the Ottawa Senators here. So, you know, I think, you know, before everybody knew about this, there was the what's going to happen with Shane Pinto. Is he, are they going to get him signed? What does that mean for, you know, Matthew Joseph? Does he end up, Eric Brandstrom, players whose names have been bandied about in, in various trade rumors, uh, going back to training camp and probably even previous as well. Uh, what does this mean for Ridley Gregg um, right now? What does this mean for other players on the roster? Like right now, if you're an Ottawa senator, you know that there's not going to be some. You're not going to wake up one morning and get a uh, get a note from the team saying we've signed Shane Pinto that and he's and he's playing tomorrow night. That is not going to happen. So what happens now with the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, and and I think in the here and the now, it does alleviate a little stress for Matthew Joseph and Dominic Kubalik and Eric Brandstrom or anybody else who is potentially tied into. Hey, the Senators need to shed two million, two and a half million dollars in salary. 
we're looking at you. I I don't see that being the case now, right? Like it it buys everybody yeah. some time in Ottawa, it buys Pierre Dorian time. But I'll still say, Jeff, they have no room under the cap. Like like you're seeing it tonight again. Uh, Artem Zub is out, yeah. and like they just don't have enough money. They can't even call an extra forward up. They're basically bare minimum uh, roster going right now of, of 20 players, and that's irrespective of Pinto. But but you're right. I think if this does, if you're Matthew Joseph in particular, you were the guy that was told, hey, uh, you're probably like, the rumor mill anyway, that you're going to be the guy traded. He can yeah. he, breathe a sigh of relief. And Ridley Gregg has been so good for them in the first six, seven games of the season. Uh, yes. He's looked like he belongs. And he probably breathes a huge sigh of relief as well. Okay, one, before I let go of you, uh, one quick non-Shane Pinto question. Yeah. What we saw Saturday, is that going to be the reception that Alex DeBrinkett gets both <laughs> on the ice and in the stands every time he's in Ottawa? I, I think DeBrinkett, and I had a good conversation with him a couple of times in and around that game. I think he's, he's super happy, Jeff. The next time Detroit plays Ottawa in an Ottawa home game, it's in Sweden. Yep. Next, uh, next month. So oh, he right. have to deal with the boo oh. <laughs> uh, over there. So he won't have to deal with this until next year. So I think it'll die down a little bit. Like, I think it'll, he'll get some boost. But the first time is always the most sort of electric and toxic and, and emotional one. Uh, he handled it well. But, boy, it was such a great atmosphere in that building on, on Saturday night. So here's the, the one thing that I, that I do hope, and I hope this happens sooner than later. I really can't wait for those two teams to meet in the playoffs. Really quick note here, Ian. This just coming in from the NHL. The league's investigation found no evidence that Pinto made any wagers on NHL games. The NHL considers this matter closed, absent the emergence of new information, and will have no further comments. Essentially, it's up to us to dig. Right now, Ian Mendez, it's up to us to dig. Wow. Yeah. It, again, it's that's that's vague, right? But like we said off the top, Jeff, yes. if he bet on NHL games, uh, he wasn't getting a forty-one game suspension. Like you're talking about lifetime ban at that point. So there, there yes. is a there I is believe a that. I believe that. that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think you're bang on. Uh, Ian, great stuff as always. Uh, so thorough, so on top of it. Uh, thumb on the pulse, all of it. Thanks, Ian. You uh, enjoy what's going to be a very crazy day, not just because of the game tonight against yeah. the Islanders, but this Shane Pinto situation. Uh, you're not going to see your pillow for some hours in the wee-wee <laughs> hours of tomorrow yeah. morning, Ian. So uh, load up on caffeine, my friend. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. There he is, the great Ian Mendez from The Athletic. So if you're just joining the program now... Um, and you're listening live. A couple of things. One, Bruce Boudreaux is coming up here in a couple of seconds. Brian Burke in the second hour. Corey Lavalette on the Carolina Hurricanes as well. But the big story of the day is Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators has been suspended 41 games for sports wagering. Now, as the NHL has pointed out uh, upon levying this 41-game suspension, uh, there is no evidence or indication that Shane Pinto bet on any NHL games. Personally, I agree with Mendez that if there was any uh, evidence that pointed towards him betting on NHL games, I think we're looking at a lifetime ban. I, 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 I that is, to me, that's the, that's an open and shut suspension. Uh, the NHL saying they consider the matter closed and will not comment further on this one. Now, the December first deadline to sign a player, it sounds like that has been waived. As well, so if Pinto ends up signing on December 15th, 
well, that's fine and good. Uh, he can sign on December 15th or January 15th for, for that matter. Um, and the other thing as well, um, the suspension has already started, and it started on game one. So he's served six games of the 41-game suspension. 35 games are left in the Shane Pinto suspension. Uh, what this means for the Ottawa Senators, I mean, quite bluntly and obviously, they'll have no Shane Pinto now uh, for another 35 games. So there's you know no salary cap massaging that needs to be done here by Pierre Dorian. General Manager of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, if you're an Ottawa Senators player, now this is no longer the quote-unquote distraction. Uh, is he walking through that door tomorrow? Is there going to be a deal done if you're Matthew Joseph or Brandstrom or Kubalik? As uh, Ian Mendez pointed out a couple of seconds ago, you're probably feeling more secure about your spot. Ditto Ridley Gregg uh, is getting a longer look um, this season by the Ottawa Senators than perhaps previously expected um, and one of the most interesting teams in the NHL just got that much more interesting whether it's new ownership or the uh, new expectations uh, some new players uh, a new attitude now there is a new situation here in the NHL with Shane Pinto suspended for 41 games uh, we'll hit a quick break we'll come back Bruce Boudreau on the other side from the NHL network our former NHL coach as well we'll uh, weigh in on a couple of things with Gabby uh, get his thoughts on the Pinto situation and also we haven't mentioned this yet and this would have been a nor- normally that the headline story looks like we're headed towards decentralization of the draft what does Gabby think about that and what does Brian Burke think about that we'll talk to him an hour or two but Bruce Boudreau is next as the Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network simulcast on sports Sportsnet 360. Keep it here. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program, the headline story of the day. Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators suspended 41 games for sports wagering. Yes, sports gambling. And the NHL has pointed out that uh, they see no evidence that he bet on NHL games at all. Uh, Shane Pinto, uh, through the Ottawa Senators, has issued a statement, quote, I want to apologize to the National Hockey League, the Ottawa Senators, my teammates, the fans, and the city of Ottawa and most importantly, my family. I take full responsibility for my actions and look forward to getting back on the ice with my team. Again, that from Shane Pinto. Uh, with that, we'll bring on Bruce Boudreau from the NHL Network, NHL coach, um, and someone who I believe liked the draft the way it was, but we'll find out here in a second. Uh, he's the one and only Gabby. He is Bruce Boudreau. He joins me now. Bruce, how are you today? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I mean, I wanna, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm I'm trying to figure. I'm trying to figure all these different sort of angles to the to this Pinto story. And from a coaching point of view, I mean, you've been through players getting suspended and apologizing to the team and the coach and the fans and everything, and then bringing them back in the mix. How does this how does this work from from like from a from a coach's point of view? We know players and, and, and how they mix, but when you're a head coach and you go through something like this and it's a significant suspension, 41 games, how do you go about the process of bringing that player back? Well, you know what? It's um, probably a little different in this situation, only because 
the suspended player is still practice is practices with you. He still is part of the team. You're talking to him every day. So I mean, you're getting him acclimated. You know, if it's a longer suspension, to getting back with the group here. He's on doing his line rushes with the line that he's supposed to be doing doing it with. So he's still part of the team. I I don't know the situation with Shane, but I got to believe he's going to be away from the team because he hasn't been signed yet. So when it comes yep. in, that, that's a whole re reclamation project. I mean, it'll be 41 games into the season. He will have just signed a new deal. I would assume for him to even be able to play. And, but he yep. hasn't been indoctrinated from training camp to playing with anybody. And especially if the team is starting to have success, where do you, uh, where do you put him in? I mean, he, he would be starting off on the fourth line and, and all of these things. So it's going to be a little bit different than a normal suspension. Uh, it, it will, and 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 you're right. There's not that. Well, we, we've seen it before. We've seen players start the season late because of contract situations, whether it's you know Drew Doughty or whether it's William Nylander. And with Nylander's case specifically, uh, and he didn't sign until the deadline in December when he did his, his last deal with the Maple Leafs. And, Bruce, you can remember how much of a hard time he had adjusting and just jumping right in, you know, in December into the NHL. Uh, you need that that build-up time. When Shane Pinto, like, to your point, when Shane Pinto eventually comes back, once this suspension is done, and he's already served the, the six games, 35 to go, it'll be 34 after tonight when the Ottawa Senators face off against the New York Islanders, um, it's going to be a really tough, it's, it could be a really tough time he's going to have jumping back in here. Like maybe, and I, I don't want to, this is going to sound so insulting, but I, I think Bruce, you know where I'm going at in decades previous, it may have been easier to jump in halfway through the season. You know, we all remember the Oilers hiding Rayo Rutzelainen in Europe and then just bringing him back for the playoffs. And here we go, and he was fresh to go, and you know, Ron Wilson did that with the, with the Minnesota North Stars as well. But given how the game is played now, how difficult do you think this is going to be eventually down the road, Shane Pinto jumping in halfway through the season? It's going to be extremely difficult. He's going to be in preseason or worse than preseason mode because of no training camp. Anybody that misses training camp is usually has a hard time to get starting. But, I mean, the players will not be in first 10 games uh, shape either. They'll not be – they won't be just getting used to each other. This will be mid-season. This will be as good as it gets until playoff time. So, I mean, he's going to be trying to get on a train that's going 80 miles an hour rather than uh, slow walking it up and getting up to that 80 miles an hour. He's going from zero to 80 right away. So it's, it's not going to be easy yeah. for him. Uh, um, and the, the players you mentioned, the only one that I've uh, that stuck into my mind, and I may be off on this, is when Mario Lemieux jumped in halfway through the year and won the scoring title. But, I mean, that's one yep. of the greatest players <laughs> in, in the history of the world, you know, doing that. So, I mean, that, that's uh, yeah, just a little yeah, bit different yeah. than the two players you mentioned. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, j- just a little. One of the greatest of all time. Not to take anything away from Drew Doughty or William Nylander, but nonetheless, Mario is is a cut above. Now, you know what? That, that's curious. I, I'm whenever I hear the name Mario Lemieux, I always I'm always quick to point out that one on one, I don't know that I've seen a better player in the history of the game. 
this is no disrespect to Wayne Gretzky and John Beliveau and uh, Gordie Howe or, or anybody else, Sidney Crosby. Who is the best one-on-one player Bruce Boudreau ever saw or played against? Wow. I mean, that's, uh, uh, you know, again, I don't want to echo your words because uh, Gretz is a friend of mine and I've never met Mario. <laughs> but, like, I mean, his numbers, healthy-wise. And the, the biggest difference yeah. is he had the reach and he had the size and he could, uh, he like, I mean, he could do so many things with that reach and size and keep pucks away from you. And he was still as good a passer as anybody. Uh, I think that's what makes him the, as good as I've ever seen. Um, Wayne was amazing where he had eyes in the back of his head, the side, side of his head and the forehead. He could see everything going in his hockey sense. was ultra amazing. But uh, i got to believe one-on-one, I would pick uh, Mario uh, as the, the guy that I've seen could – could um, deke any defenseman inside out. I mean, just with the the, the way he could, the, you know, his width of the stick from one side to the other side, uh, defenseman couldn't deal with it. So he'd be the guy that I would think is is the best at that. Okay, uh, a couple of things here. I, I want to ask you about the draft. And now I preface this by saying I know that the draft over the years has changed. Um, from you know the uh, the original NHL draft to, to where it was you know last year in Nashville, and we'll see what happens this year. Whether they go the um, whether they go the route of decentralization this season or next season, it, it sounds very much like this is coming. This is going to be more of a NFL style draft than a traditional NHL draft, the likes that we've seen for a number of years, where you know it bounces around different cities. Once upon a time, as you all well know, Bruce, it was only in Montreal. Um, first of all, before I ask you about the idea of decentralizing it, whether you like it or not, the, uh, the bonuses, the negatives to all of it, take us back, take us back to 1975, the third round, the 42nd pick overall to the Toronto Maple Leafs from the Toronto Marlboros of the OMJHL, Bruce Boudreaux. What do you remember from draft day? Well, that's a story in itself. I think, um, first of all, there was two years in the history of the NHL that they did a draft by telephone, and that was one of them. Um, there was no, there was no party in Montreal. There was no anything. And the reason they were doing the telephone draft is they didn't want the WHA to know who they were drafting, because people were, um, you know, like they were they were stealing people based on on where they were drafting. I guess this is what's been told to me. But uh, uh, I sat at home, and here's the the crazy thing. I was ranked third in um, uh, on Oakland's list. I had a meeting with Eagleson and, and Bill Waters were my agents, and they said, Oakland has got you rated three, third, and I'm going pretty good. And then we had a, a party in, um, after we won the Memorial Cup in uh, a Marley party, and the late John McCullen said, we're going to pick you seventh, and but we don't think you're going to be there, which all made sense. And is because of what Oakland had said, and then I got drafted 43rd. Yeah. I was so devastated, and the Eagleson's office, um, <laughs> well, you, you can't see the guys being out. You're just sitting there waiting at home, and it's just, a, you know, you, you yeah. got the phone waiting, and me and my dad are downstairs, and, uh, okay, it's supposed to start. Is there a delay? We don't know because there's no TV. There's no radio on this thing, and when she called, uh, the secretary said, hey, really good news. You were drafted 
second pick in the third round. And I dropped the phone and I just started bawling like a, a baby. Like, I mean, <laughs> I was like uh, uh, expecting so much more and it was such a letdown. But, you know, it was my own, I was my own worst enemy at that point anyway. Uh, I just love it. Uh, another great draft story. Um, add Bruce Boudreaux to the mix. But what do you think of the idea now of of having it decentralized? And there's a lot of different things that the teams have pointed to. I mean, I don't like it, so I've mainly presented that side of the argument. Bruce is biased uh, as I am, but you know, there there's the air. The, there's the uh, the issue of the draft occurring too close to free agency. There's the idea of wanting to do something significant with your own fan base in your own market and having all of your own people there and ready for free agency on July 1st. Um, given all that we know, all the factors, all of the, the, the stakeholders and all of it, whether it's you know the families and the PA and the rights holders and equipment manufacturers, the fact that you're bringing a whole large gathering of essentially it's like a convention of people all together, um, pros and cons, pluses and minuses, bonuses and negatives. How do you see this impending decision, Bruce Boudreau, with the draft? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, I haven't delved into it super deeply, but I mean, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And because we we forget, and whatever the reasons are, <clears throat> like uh, let's assume that there's at least 40 people that each team brings to the draft, okay, and that's 40 hotel rooms and, and the expenses and that. I don't think yeah. money should come into this one. Um, but And you're bringing your scouts and your couch coaches and all of that. But it's not just an NHL draft. I mean, when we talk football, okay, football's got one leak. That's it. That's that's who culminate at the draft. Okay, hockey's got the East Coast League, the, all the junior leagues, all uh, the American Hockey League, all the the would be wanna um, uh, guys that want to get a job. And this is where you know is the meeting place that you set up all your meetings if you don't have a job to meet with the the right people. This is where you do your networking to go to go there this is like i mean this whole week is some of the biggest weeks of your life if you're uh, an aspiring player agent looking for uh for your for a player you have or if it's for a potential coach looking for an advancement or looking to get a job in itself and you have like a, a big um uh, clinics uh hockey clinics and that so i think it's yep. more than just the the draft. I think that all that entails that I got my first coaching job by going to the draft and with nothing. I just went with John Anderson. We went to Quebec. We rented a hotel room. I ended up talking to Larry Gordon, who was the, the general manager of the Cleveland Lumberjacks there. And we ended up talking. I ended up getting a job. And I wouldn't have got it if I didn't network and go to the draft that, that year by myself. I got my first American League job by going to the draft and talking to Dave Taylor. And so, I mean, these things, like when, when I hear that, I'm going, man, that really takes a lot of the steam out of guys that are too shy uh, to be um, uh, to phoning and, and doing that. They get to meet these guys in a lot of times public settings and just chat. And one person likes the other and you make friends, and then a week later you got a job. So, I mean, uh, I'm a little uh, indifferent about it as far as the whole meeting aspect of it goes. 
Uh, I love the floor too, Gabby. I mean, you've been on the floor before. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know what it's like. And I'll, you know, I'm not going to say who the two general managers' names are, but I can recall. And I, I honestly, Gabby, I still laugh when I when I think of the visual of of one general manager, you know, holding a pack of cigarettes over the other one as a other manager trying to jump up and get a couple of cigarettes because he had texted him saying, "Hey, bring some cigarettes over to the table." It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, and we've mm. all seen some funny things on the the draft floor as well. <laughs> I think maybe you know who I'm talking about. Um, but yeah. I mean, I'm 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 really I'm really gonna miss that. Like I'm gonna if we end up going that route, I'm gonna miss seeing that interplay. Whether it's jumping for cigarettes or just talking casually about a trade or something, or just you know rubbing elbows with GMs and scouts, etc. It's it's just like to your point about creating meeting places. It's gonna be one of those things that I really miss without those 32 tables there. And, and you know what? It, it can look boring at times, but I'm telling you, every time the phone rings on your table, everybody perks up. Who is it? What's going on? Huh? What, what's going on? <laughs> like, and every time the GM gets up to walk to another table, you're going, "Look at his lips. Can you read his lips? What's he saying?" Like, don't show your draft, uh, your draft eligible list. It, it's it's really unique and it's fun, um, but I mean, it it may not yeah. look like that the actual draft day because there's not a lot that happens anymore i mean the first round especially uh there's not a lot of major trades like they used to be years ago but i mean it's uh, um mm. uh, but i'm gonna miss it because it's a focal point of of this is when the hockey season starts again um, let me ask you about the Washington Capitals. And uh, I'm not sure if you watched last night's game against the New Jersey Devils, but it was the only game on the board. Uh, and it wasn't one game. It was three games. It was the Capitals jumping out to a 3 nothing lead. Uh, then it was the New Jersey Devils in the second period storming back to grab a 4-3 to lead. And Jack Hughes led the charge there with three assists and a gorgeous pass to Timo Meyer. And then the third period was the third game where the Washington Capitals came back uh, and scored three and, and took the game seven to four. Um, Strom with a pair. Connor McMichael scores in the third, and Alexander Ovechkin puts it into the empty nets. Um, I'm not so sure that I want to go as far as to say that you know we're watching the last days of the Washington Capitals because uh, I still I still I still think this team is going to be competitive as long as Ovechkin is chasing the Gretzky record. Um, but a lot of this all started. I always think about you, Gabby, when I when I watch the Washington Capitals because we've watched them go through so many different versions of this team. Ovechkin being the constant. Um, you know, when you took that team, taken over from Glenn Hanlon, and I believe it was on the last game of the season. I think it was against the Florida Panthers a Sunday afternoon, three to one final to get into the playoffs in the Southeast Division, and we take it up to right now. What do you see when you look at the Washington Capitals right now? Because I look at it, Gabby, and I say, you know what? All this, the fanfare, the records, the enthusiasm, all of it, the sellout streak, which mind you just ended, all that started with you, Bruce. What do you see when you see the Capitals now? Well, I do watch them every night, and I pay close attention to them um, because, you know, your first team is always the team you, you seem to um, get drawn to. It's like watching the Leafs every night, you know, like I, uh, I can't get away from it. And, uh, but, and being in, in Hershey, uh, which is the Caps, where the Caps Farm Club is, you get to know a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that's going on. But, uh, um you know, I'm a little, uh, you know, uh, a little worried about them right now. Um, they do look a little slow every time I watch them play. 
it's it's funny last night's game. Um, I could I could picture it this way. I mean, New Jersey comes off. I mean, New Jersey's that young Washington Capitals team of 2007. They think they're they're invincible yeah. and everything else. They got all these young studs and stars, and and they come in. Oh, we're playing the Caps. Everybody tells us they stink, and and we're gonna just. Uh, we're just going to go there and win the game, throw the jerseys at center ice and say, hey, you can't beat the Devils. Well, the Caps just got, even though <laughs> they were a little bit better the, the night before, I mean, they were better the night before because it was like Ovi said, okay, enough is enough. We're playing the game. I'm getting back to what I do. I'm shooting everything, and we're going to play hard. And they lost. But, I mean, I think they they got mad and they came out on fire. Now, New Jersey woke up after the first period. I'm sure Lindy goes, hey, boys, and says a few more choice words. And they come out like gang fire, <laughs> um, and they take yep. the lead. But they don't get that fifth goal, which I thought they needed when I was watching it. And then the, the Caps are going, this ain't happening again. And they come back, and they come back in the third period. I thought, And that's what goes on a lot of times in, in hockey. I mean, the, those intermissions... The, you know, the, it's hard to sustain it two periods in a row, and let alone three periods at this stage of the season. So, I mean, you usually have a, a lot of those going back and forth. But uh, to get back to the Caps, I just, uh, I mean, I'm a little worried about them. You know, I mean, Nicky, who's my favorite player of all time, looks a little slow uh, right yeah. now. Uh, you know, I don't think the that uh, Manta's in the good uh, graces of the coaching staff because I look at ice times all the time. And so he's not playing. He was actually on the fourth line last night, and it was, it was good to see him get a goal for the Caps. I mean, they got their young players, they, and I think they're doing exactly what they did in 2006 when they sold all their players off and got all these young, talented players that became their stars for the next 12 years. And I was the beneficiary of that because I had them in in Hershey, and they were great young players. Um, I think they did that last year, and then they won the Calder Cup again, and they're trying it again. I just think they had great minor league players last year, but I don't think they had great stars of the future in Hershey. They had really good players, and Todd Nelson's a really good coach, and they won won the Cup. And, uh, for example, like Hunter, who played last night, uh, you know, is 28 years old. And and he was yep. great for Hershey, but I don't think you would call him a top-notch prospect at that age. So, I mean, uh, but he came in, and I was really proud of him. I mean, he let those four goals in. And a guy playing your first NHL game, you let those four goals in, you're like, uh-oh, I'm toast. And then he didn't let another one in, which <laughs> is great for him. So hopefully it works out. Yeah. He, he's a fat, you're right, and um, Bruce is talking about Hunter Shepard, the goaltender last night, making his NHL yeah. debut, got his first NHL win, 28 years old. I mean, he's a fascinating story. I don't think, I have to go back and be more specific about this, but I don't think that Hunter Shepard has ever been on a team that had a losing season. Like, er- everywhere he's gone, like, the team has won. They haven't always won the championship, but it's, it's, he's never been on a uh, on a team that had a losing season. And I am curious, too. Oh, by the way, just as a, just as a quick aside, you mentioned Todd Nelson and Spencer Carberry is now behind the bench uh, of the Washington Capitals. Um, you really started uh, a phenomenon in the NHL. I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this to you, but maybe we have talked about this. But um, when you took over the Washington Capitals, it seemed as if 
after everyone saw the success that you had with the Caps, everyone started saying, you know what? Instead of going outside and seeing which coaches are, are unemployed, maybe we'll bring those in, teams started looking at their American Hockey League team. And I think the success that you had coming in from Hershey to Washington, I think really opened the doors for a lot of AHL coaches. And for the longest time, it was like, oh, no, he's just an AHL coach. He can never coach in the NHL. I mean, that was the feeling about Bruce Cassidy for a while, too. And then the Bruins announced the Stanley Cup with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I know you don't want to do a victory lap, but do you ever look back at that and say, you know what, I'm glad that I opened up the doors for some other AHL guys? Well, I I, I was at the time. Now that I became an NHL head coach, I want them to just go back and get all those old NHL coaches back in the job. I don't want them to get the American League guys. <laughs> Close. Get, you know, you, you, you get up to the top of the roof and you kick the ladder down. Is that how it goes, Bruce? Yeah. <laughs> but there are a lot of really good coaches that in in the American League. I, I really... I really like Todd Nelson. I think he's he's a guy that, uh, you know, yes. it was cut short in Edmonton. But, I mean, he's a good coach and a good man. And, and I go and watch their practices, and, boy, uh, they pay attention to him, and he communicates well with each other, with those guys. And I think that's a, there's a lot of coaches in the American League that do that. And, and as far as it, when I was concerned, yeah, like when it was me, then there was, you're right, there was a lot of American League coaches coming up after that. And uh, because, yep. the, 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 you know, the American League is a tough league. You, and you have to communicate yep. and do all the things that an NHL coach has to do except for deal with the media. And that you get to learn that as you go. Listen, uh, as I always say, wish we had more time. We're up against it. Bruce, thanks as always for stopping by. 11 games on the board tonight. I know you'll be tuned in. Thanks for sharing your expertise on on everything, whether it's AHL coaches, uh, the draft, the Shane Pinto situation. Always much appreciated, pal. You be well. It's uh, always fun. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Mm. There he is. Bruce Boudreaux, uh, NHL coach, NHL analyst, uh, a regular here uh, on the program. Always love hearing Boudreaux's stories and that draft story from 75 <laughs> where Eagleson and Waters told him he was going third overall. Uh, the Seals, by the way, took Ralph Klassen uh, from Saskatoon of the Western League. Saskatoon had a run. First seven picks uh, in that draft were all from the, uh, from the Western League, starting with Mel Bridgman, center from Victoria, going first overall. Uh, to the Philadelphia Flyers. With that, we'll bring in Matt Marchese and time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. And it's pretty thematic, I suppose, considering this new story of the day today. Uh, which game do you have your eyeballs on? Uh, Blues at Flames. Uh, the Flames lost three in a row. The Blues lost their last game. So it feels like two teams early on that kind of are figuring out what the heck they are and both need a win. Uh, the Blues are 8-2 and two in the yeah. last 10 meetings overall. The Blues are 5-1 and one in the last six meetings in Calgary. The over is 5-1-1 one one in the last seven meetings. And the over is 4-0 in the last four games in Calgary. You know, the St. Louis Blues are in that, uh, in that central division where, in a lot of ways, after Colorado and Dallas, it really is jump ball for who's going to grab it. And the one thing that, and much like Dallas, one thing the St. Louis Blues are trying to do now is, uh, I don't know, rebuild on the fly. Is a, Retool. A Rebuild's a bad word, I think Jeff. you know what I'm going for. <laughs> 
Oh, we don't say rebuild. It doesn't exist. Retool. Reset. No such thing is a rebuild. We're retooling, uh, rewinding. So what they're and they're trying to do it, and understandably so, uh, with younger players like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, and you know um, these types of players. Robert Thomas is going to be the captain of that team one day. Right now, it's it's Braden Shen. Uh, I do wonder about the St. Louis Blues in one very specific sense. Uh, I'll get to Calgary in a second. I worry about their back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that they've like, look, Alex Petrangelo ain't coming back. But the one guy that I that I listen, you're gonna have to give away when that when the, when the expansion draft comes around. The the one guy that I look at and I say, oh man, if they only had Vince Dunn back there, like if St. Louis had still hung on to Vince Dunn and not exposed to the expansion draft for Seattle. How different a team uh, is this right now? But what we're seeing with St. Louis is a couple of things here. One, uh, the St. Louis Blues uh, will always try to have a competitive team. I don't think they're ever going to go the Philadelphia Flyers, Montreal Canadiens route, Anaheim Ducks, of taking it right down to the uh, to the nuts and the bolts. Um, two, they've always liked a really tough team. Uh, they've always tried to have at least one slugger in the lineup. That's just the way they've they've always liked to play. Um, and as for the Calgary Flames, I mean, whether it's the Zadorov comments uh, before the Ranger game, whether it's the Blake Coleman comments after the game, this is a team where you're starting to see frustration start to boil over. Um, and as Elliot mentioned in his 32 Thoughts blog, you know, the one thing that everyone's doing now is trying to figure out who Zadorov was talking about when he talked about players that are playing for themselves and not playing for the team. We shall see. I mean, the Flames, as you mentioned, have lost three games in a row, Columbus, Detroit, and the New York Rangers. This is a big one for the Calgary Flames as they head into Sunday's Winter Classic against the Edmonton Oilers. And whenever I think of Blues and Flames, I always think of the Hull deal, Rick Walmsley, and the anyhow. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook bet local. Brian Burke on the other side. Merrick Show continues. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. I want to thank Bruce Boudreaux for stopping by. Ian Mendez before him, talking about the uh, the lead story of the day, which uh, which continues as we all try to search for more information. As the league has said, there will be no further comments. Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators suspended 41 games for gambling violations. Uh, He has uh, issued an apology through the Sens. Uh, I'll read it to you. Uh, Quote, I want to apologize to the National Hockey League, the Ottawa Senators, my teammates, the fans, and the city of Ottawa, and most importantly, my family. I take full responsibility for my actions and look forward to getting back on the ice with my team. Now, a couple of things. There is, and the NHL has already uh, commented about this, there is no indication that Shane Pinto bet on hockey, that there was no, uh, wasn't a situation where Shane Pinto was gambling uh, on NHL games. Uh, If there was, I would imagine this would have been, not to get too far ahead of myself, but probably would have been a lifetime suspension, to be honest with you. 
Um, that has happened before. Um, so the suspension has already begun. He has already served six games of it, so 35 to go, 34 after tonight when the Ottawa Senators face off against the New York Islanders. The uh, December 1st deadline for signing players in this case has been waived. I would imagine that, uh, again, this is just my speculation, I would imagine Pinto would do a deal at or near league minimum uh, for this season. Um, perhaps as a thank you for the Ottawa Senators not starting a whisper campaign to explain why uh, they haven't been able to sign Shane Pinto. But nonetheless, that is the very latest. It's a 41-game suspension, Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, with that, we'll bring in Brian Burke um, to talk about a, a number of things here. Uh, I want to have Brian on to talk about the idea of decentralizing the draft. We have a lot of places we can go with the executive director of the Professional Women's Hockey League, Players Association, uh, NHL executive, general manager, broadcaster. He's done it all in the game. He is Brian Burke, and he joins me now. Burke, how are you today? Good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. Um, the, uh, the the big story of the day, if you have a care to have a thought on it, the Shane Pinto situation, 41-game suspension, not gambling on NHL games, but wagering on other sports. Uh, we still don't know the specific details of what was wagered on? Where he did it? What the, uh, you know, what the a- a- exact thing that he's being suspended for is? But, you know, nonetheless, do you have a thought on the Shane Pinto situation here? And he, and moreover, is Pierre Dorian owed an apology here because he's heard a lot about his inability to get Shane Pinto signed? Well, now we know why. Well, I larger issue for me is I'm really worried about gambling and pro sports anyway. And I, I've expressed my concern about this a number of times. And when I was working for the media, they were, you know, it wasn't, wasn't something you want to advertise because they're a big consumer, obviously, and a big advertiser. But to me, this, this notion of gambling and players and athletes, and I'm really worried about it. I think it's taken on a life of its own. You can't watch an NHL game now without being consumed by the ads. And the last thing is, you know, or the odds of someone will score a goal. I mean, it's it's out of control in my mind, but that's a whole different issue. With Shane Pinto, I don't know the specifics. I wouldn't comment on it, but uh, I thought it was classy of Pierre to keep it quiet for as long as he did. You know, I, I, I do wonder that there's never really been, I mean, every now and then there is sort of discussion around it, but... Um, when it comes to sports gambling, I, I wonder what the conversation and, and where it's headed and where it's been around alcohol. Um, this is a sport that is, you know, heavily sponsored by various beer companies. Uh, for example, both sides of the border. Uh, I know that, that gambling ads can seem a little bit overwhelming for a lot of people. I just wonder whether it's because that's new and we're just used to, you know, endless commercials from beer companies, Berkey. And so it doesn't seem like it's harsh. That's a different issue. I'll I'll circle back on that issue. But on the gambling issue, I remember, like I was in law school when the Boston College gambling scandal happened. Like this is not something remote or something that might happen. We might encounter this. I have witnessed this in my lifetime. I saw the referee with the Tim Donahoe, is that his name? The NBA referee that got busted. Yeah, Yeah. so, I mean, it's it's happened in our lifetime. It's not some speculative remote thing. And they say they've got safeguards in place. And then you look at what happened with Evander Kane and different 
Like I, I'm, I'm worried about it. I, it troubles me that we don't have enough input on this, enough controls over this. But the uh, the issue of alcohol, um, we've taken the gambling or gambling money for you know, the last little bit. We've taken alcohol money for decades since the sport began, really. And I, that's a different discussion. I haven't really focused on that in my mind. But it's probably the the bigger issue I would see is with gambling is you can ruin your life in a very short time and take a little bit longer if you're doing it with alcohol. But I think it's something we got to look at. Uh, Brian Burke along with me. He is, uh, amongst other things, the executive director of the PWHL's Players Association, NHL executive, um, hockey broadcaster as well, and someone uh, that uh, <laughs> was someone that we've always loved watching at the draft. Uh, I was just talking to Bruce Boudreaux a couple of seconds ago and sharing some of my favorite draft floor stories. And some of my favorite visuals are watching you talk to other general managers. You're someone who is... Uh, who was always very active on the draft floor. Uh, I believe there was a, a big trade with with Vancouver that uh, the, the details are sort of foggy. I'm sure you can jog my memory on that, um, that you pulled off. I can still remember one of my, one of my favorite bits of, of audio is hearing you talk to the late Brian Murray um, about, you know, taking Nazem Kadri and like those, those behind-the-scenes looks. Like you're always someone, it seemed, that really enjoyed being on the floor at the draft. Let's start there before we get to the decentralization. Safe to say you felt very much at home on the floor of the draft, Berkey. Yeah, I made two big deals on the floor. Two huge deals on the floor. Two of the biggest in the history of the league on the floor. I think it's a really important place and a lot of business gets done there. I think the drama of being on the floor and having the kids' families walk up after they're picked and put on their hat and their sweater, I think the drama is great. And I, I know I'm a, this is a losing cause here. I know that when Elliot reports no, an overwhelming majority, so they're going to decentralize yeah. the draft. They're going to ruin the greatest spectacle that, that exists in pro hockey. You look at all the drafts. No one ever watches the NBA draft and say, gee, I wish we did it like that. No one ever watches the NFL draft and says, geez, I wish we did it like that. Our draft is special. It's unique and it's uh, amazing. And we're going to go away from it. I know that. But I think it's really stupid. One of the things that I always like, like I, I've tried to look at this from a number of different perspectives. And, you know, I'll tell you what, the one that I keep coming back to is the players and their families. Like, sure, this is a big moment for a franchise, a big moment for scouts, a big moment for general managers, a big moment for, you know, rights holders, broadcasting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I keep coming back to the players and their families and saying to myself, you know, if I'm in either position, either the father or the player, and I'm either walking up myself to shake the hand of the general manager who just drafted me, or I'm watching my son do that and shake the hand of the team that's about to help him take the next step in his hockey career, that's real special. Like, to me, like, that handshake, I don't know, maybe I'm too overly romantic about the whole thing, Berkey, but that handshake means a lot. Like, I I really love that moment of the draft. It's not going to be anywhere close to the same. You mean, you've been on that stage. You've welcomed kids to organizations. Do you have a thought or two, or can you share a, a story or a thought on what that moment is like? No, you're right. I don't have to add anything. You're right. And we're taking that away. So the kid will still stand up. He'll still hug his mom and dad. But it won't be the same. It won't be in front of 19,000 people. 
won't be the same at all. And I look at it, and I, it's not just the first round where it's just obvious. Kid gets up, puts on the sweater, grabs the hat, which I hate. I hate hats. But they, uh, <laughs> the, the, the normal routine, they'll still follow some kind of routine like that. It's like that in the second and seventh round. The seventh round gets back. The kid's there with his family. They yeah. go nuts. The seventh round, sixth round, fifth round. Sure. So there's a magic to it that you can't duplicate or replicate, and they won't. And I, I think it's a huge mistake. I know it's happening. I'm happy to be in a minority when I think I'm right, and I think I'm right on this. And also, the detail that goes into the draft where you're on the floor, working on deals, talking to people over on the side, a lot of the work that goes into the draft is impossible to do remotely, and they're going to suffer from that too. Both the big deals I did. So you're, um, you're alluding to the Sedin twins and Chris Pronger in 93. <laughs> Those both happened on the yeah. floor. On the floor. The um, the the Pronger one has a really nice – I really admired uh, what you did around uh, the Pronger deal because uh, weren't you leaving phony copies of your draft list around the hotel? Yes. But, I, but Dean Lombardi didn't bite on that. He told me later, I asked him if any of their scouts saw it. We, we dropped the phony draft list in two or three locations. Um, and it was it, it, trying to mislead trying to mislead Dean Lombardi, but he told me later he never heard about that, never saw it. So it was a wasted effort at subterfuge. Um, but I do I do appreciate the cleverness of the entire thing. Um, let me circle back to something quickly. For those that don't know the story, um, and I, I think it's an interesting one as well. You said you don't like hats. It's become such a staple. Here's the sweater, and here's the hat, and here comes the photographs. Everybody say, geez. How come you never liked hats? Because the photo that you take in front of the stage, it's better now because the lighting's better, but the photo you used to take would obscure the kid's face. And I've had parents tell me, Morgan Riley's mom told me after the draft, thank God you didn't put a hat on Morgan. Because you look at the draft mm. picture, and the kid, you see the kid, he looks great. Looks fantastic. No hat. So we had, I remember the first draft I did it, I was at the draft in, uh, in Hartford. And um, Steve Stallman, who worked for the league at the time, said, I'm going to find you ten grand if you don't wear the hat. I said, send, send the bill. We're, we're not we're not wearing hats. So my, my players never went up there with hats on. If you look at when I draft Morgan Riley, I'm talking to him the whole way up to the yep. stage. I'm saying to him, look, Mo, we're not going to put a hat on you. It's not that we don't love you. It's not that it's not important. It's, I don't want you to wear a hat. So it works It works well. A lot of teams did it. Actually, half a dozen teams did it for a few years. Not everyone puts on the hat. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's become a default setting almost. Um, so uh, listen, uh, we'll, we'll see how this works out, where this heads. Uh, this will be discussed at the next general manager's meeting. It'll be discussed at the the BOG in Seattle in, in December as well. So we'll see where where this one heads. But um, uh, if you're worried about being in the minority uh, on this uh, line right now, it's a majority. It's you and me because uh, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of it either. But uh, and, and by the way, by the way, the NH- if it's if it, hang on, Jeff, if it's gotten this far, it's being approved. They can talk all they want at a mm-hmm. board of governors meeting. If it's gotten this far. It's been approved. I can tell you right now, this is happening. Yeah. So listen, I mean, you you sat in these meetings. So what what happens now with this issue? Like the the first the, the next point of contact 
for this issue is going to be the general manager's meeting. How does, I mean, how does that discussion work at the next GM's get together? Well, actually, it's not that Gary won't listen to the Board of Governors. They'll actually ask the GMs. They'll have a discussion. But with these millennials, I think these idiots don't know any better. They're going to all vote for this. It's easier, and it's more mm-hmm. more NBA-like and more NFL-like. And we don't have to bring our whole staff together. We can do this all in one room. And I'm like, I remember Dean Lombardi proposed this 10 years ago. And I remember saying to him, what, have you lost your mind? The last time, last time you and I worked on a draft together, we did this deal on the floor. So to me, I, I think they'll have a discussion. The guys are going to vote for it. I'm, I'm going to be in a minority, but it's not going to be something that the league ram, ramrods down anyone's throat. They'll, the league, the, Gary listens to the owners for the most part and to the GMs. So if they were strongly against this, it wouldn't happen. They obviously support it. So Gary's going to be like, all right, if that's what the guys want, let's do it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean they don't um, get it wrong. Speaking of the NHL, uh, it seemed as if um, the moment the uh, the memo, the clarification on you know the the, the ban of of the, of the pride tape came out, uh, it seemed almost Brian almost immediately that considering the feedback that the NHL got from a lot of different corners, it seemed as if right away they were looking for a climb down here. Um, and now, uh, after a uncomfortable, let's just call it an uncomfortable week, um, that's where someone like Travis Dermott showed, you know, great, you know, courage, um, and wore the pride, pride tape on his stick in the game against the Anaheim Ducks. The NHL came off of the decision to ban the pride tape. Um, there's an element of self-inflicted wound, uh, stepping on rakes, like all of it. A lot of it applies here. When you look back on it now, a couple of days after they've, they've come down off the position, how would you describe what you just saw over the last week and a half around this issue? Although it's not really a week and a half issue, but how would you describe what we saw in the last week and a half? I would describe it as progress. I don't mind a step back here and there. They talk about rake steps. I didn't even know what that meant until I looked it up last week. Talk about rake steps, steps on rakes. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I think the league got this right this time. The fact that they had to step back to get it right, should we criticize them for that? I see these articles saying, oh, the league screwed up, idiots. Why did they make the decision in the, right, in the first place? I don't like the decision to get rid of pride uh, sweaters. I didn't like it. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it, but I got the kernel of it, the, the, the sense of it I got a little bit. The second step, I don't get. It looked vindictive and petty and unnecessary, and I, I didn't didn't criticize the league severely because I thought there's got to be a second step here. We've got to give the league a chance to step back from this, and that's what happened. Not because of me, but that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So like the temptation is to say, oh, they screwed up in the first place. And the temptation is to gloat and say, oh, we, we, the pressure, they gave in to the pressure. My attitude is it's progress. It's, a, it's the right result. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Bill. These guys are huge supporters of, of LGBTQ+. They're the best supporters we've had. They're leaders of this field. So we got it right the second time. I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm good. It's interesting too because we look at we look at progress and we tend to gravitate towards this idea that it's going to be linear, that it's going to be a straight line. When really, in a lot of ways, Brian, to your point, and I think your point's a really good one, it's kind of a bunny hop. 
it's, you know, one step back, two steps forward, you know, three steps back, five steps forward. You know, when we look at progress, we just think that it's going to be an uninterrupted straight line where, you know, life says, no, 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 no. This is going to be wiggles. This is going to be curves. This is going to be surprises. This is going to be setbacks. Am I reading what you're saying correctly? Yes. And you got to understand, Jeff, I've talked about this before. These prejudices and this bias against the LGBTQ plus community, this hatred has built up over centuries. We are not going to kick this door in. It's not going to change overnight. These are steps that we have to mm-hmm. take. It's like mud walls eroding over time. And I've said this repeatedly. We're not going to solve everything tomorrow. So let's take the victories we get as we get them. Let's say thank you and move on. Like this is a major victory in my mind. A player can express the way he or she feels about LGBTQ plus before they weren't allowed to. That's a victory. I said this to Brendan when Brendan came out, my son. I said, you imagine how in my high school, 3,000 kids in my high school, three years, three-year high school, grade 10, 11, 12, 1,000 kids in each class, 3,000 kids, not one gay kid. And you're like, well, of course there were gay kids. Yeah, I know there were gay kids, but not one of them dared come out back then. That's progress. Brendan Mm -hmm. could come out and not be afraid of getting beat up. He had to watch himself. I, I told him that, too. But my point is, we've made tremendous progress. Let's count the blessings. Let's count the progress. Let's not focus on all the negatives. We've got a long way to go, but we've come a long way. Let me ask you about the PWHL. Um, The executive director of the Players Association and the new logo um, for the league just came out not too long ago, a couple of days ago. And uh, a note from the Hockey News and Ian Kennedy uh, the PWHL has applied to trademark six names, Torch, Echo, Wicked, Alert, Superior, and Sound for their original six franchises. Do you care to comment on that? No. Only because I don't know. I, I like it. I like the sounds of a couple of them. But I, I asked as recently as two days ago if there was any progress on yeah. names, and they told me two, two of them had been nailed down. But they didn't tell me which ones. They didn't right. tell me the names, so no, I don't have a comment. I like the. I, I assume Wicked is Boston. That would be pretty cool. It sounds like it sounds like it's the Boston Wicked. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like so it's I lived in Boston Echo, for, Wicked, Alert, su- yes, uh, Superior, and Sound are the other. Uh, I lived six in Boston uh, for a year when I was apply. a kid. I lived in Boston when I was a, for a year when I was a kid before I moved to Minnesota, and it's Wicked. This oh, it's Wicked cold. That'd be a great name if that's the one they picked, but no, I don't have a comment. I I, th- I think it's a pretty cool one. There's uh there's more. Oh, but how is it working? I mean, listen, you know Stan Caston from from your time in the NHL uh, when he was with the Atlanta Thrashers. Um, now, of course, with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and now part of the uh, PWHL from an investment point of view. And in a lot of ways, uh, he's one of the people with uh, with a big hand on the wheel. What's it like working uh, with Stan Caston now in this enterprise? I don't talk to Stan that often, mainly because I deal with Jaina and Chris Burkett, the other, the Burkett, the other two top guys I deal with. Yep. Um, but I, I know Stan. I saw him at the draft. I've admired him from afar for a long time. We've been friends for. Well, I first met him when I was interviewing as a finalist in Atlanta for the job there. So uh, I go way back with Stan. I was in a meeting with him where we tried to buy 
the uh, New York Islanders and Stan was involved, that I would have had an ownership stake, and so would Stan. So I go back a long way and very deep roots with Stan. I admire him very much. There's there's a lot of people you work with in sports that you like. There's some you respect. There's some you really admire, and he's one of them. I like this guy a lot. I respect this guy a lot. How how close were you to buying the Islanders? Uh, that's the story of my next book, I think. Um, I, I thought we were close, <laughs> but it turns out turns out the, the, the guy that was involved was a wonderful guy. The guy who was going to be the money man has not since purchased yeah. the team. So I'd say we weren't that close. Okay, one one final question for you. I'm going to circle back to the uh, to the draft on this one, and the great story of like it's one of the great trades, draft trades, any trades uh, in the history of the NHL. Um, the Sedin's deal. You've already talked about it a little bit, but if there wasn't, let me, let me give you a scenario here. If the draft didn't exist as it did then, would that deal have gotten done? I would say no, because so much of it was last minute and in person and on the phone late at night, but we actually got the deal done that morning on the floor, and I had to make the second deal. Because at that point, we had one and three. We had to trade with Atlanta and get down to two. So I would say no. I'd say, uh, I would say if it had happened in this remote era, if, it, if they make the change and it had happened in the remote era, it would have been much more difficult, much more complicated. So I'd say no. So we we and could for sure the pronger, we could have seen for sure the Pronger deal doesn't happen. Right. So we we could have seen a situation where the Sedin brothers are not playing with each other in the NHL. You're saying that that most likely that's a byproduct of the draft existing as it's um uh, as as it existed then. I think so. Yes. I just got a note from someone who's listening right now who will remain anonymous saying, ask Berkey if the money man was Nelson Peltz. No. It was not Nelson Peltz. All right. uh, Okay. Um, We will have to wait for your second book. Your first book is over my left shoulder right now, uh, Burke's Law, which is just tremendous, uh, a life in hockey. I encourage everyone to pick that one up. But we'll wait for book number two, Berkey, to get the uh, the full Islanders story. Listen, thanks as always for stopping by, sharing expertise on the draft, um, the PWHL, uh, and of course, um, the big story of the day, the Shane Pinto gambling situation. Thanks as always, Berkey. You be good. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. There he is, Brian Burke, uh, who drops by this program on a regular basis, executive director of the PWHL. Uh, And again, they have, uh, let me grab this here, according to Ian Kennedy at the Hockey News, uh, applied the trademark six names, Torch, Echo, Wicked, guessing it's Boston, uh, Alert, Superior, and Sound for their original six franchises. We thank Brian Burke for stopping by, and no, Nelson Peltz, was not the the money man for him, Stan Caston, to buy the New York Islanders. Uh, hey, Matt Marchese, how are you? I'm good, man. Uh, if they're not called the Boston Wicked Smots, I don't know what they should do. Like, I mean, at that point... <laughs>
That's pretty cool, eh? That's a that's a that's a really cool. It's very interesting. Movie. That's the way they go, and it sounds like it is. The Boston Wicked is really good. Um, I do like that. Okay, so the headline story of the day, and this kind of hits you where you live. I, I know mm-hmm. you love hockey and you love gambling too. Mm-hmm. And oh look, your chocolate's in my peanut butter. That's a very dated reference, by the way. I know. Uh, Shane Pinto suspended forty-one games for sports gambling. Now. It's going to sound weird, but we don't know why. Like, mm-hmm. you are allowed to gamble on non-NHL games, but what was it specifically about what he did that got him suspended? It wasn't on NHL games. We've seen situations where, you know this, you're an NFL guy, players have been suspended for gambling uh, on team facilities, on team property, which is a, a big no-no here. But when you first heard the news about this this morning, Maddie, what went through your mind as a degenerate gambler? Well, when I saw 41, my thought was exactly like what, what yours was and, and Ian Mendez's was, was he didn't bet on hockey because we are, the precedent is already set hockey, yeah. for people that bet on hockey. Now, I wonder if if that has, if that would change. I mean, it would have to be something that would, you know, happen now in a totally different world than, you know, 80 years ago or however long ago it was when, you know, uh, was it Billy Taylor that got suspended for life? He was one of them. Um, I believe that's who it was. Yeah, there, there was two. a couple. There was Billy Taylor and Don Gallinger. Yeah. Uh, Billy Taylor, the Rangers, Don Gallinger, the Boston Bruins. Babe Pratt, they wanted to really throw a, they would really wanted to, well, and, and Taylor and Gallinger, like they bet on hockey, mm-hmm. right? Um, Babe Pratt was suspended as well. Eight, one or two seasons before Taylor and Gallinger got suspended. And I think they really wanted to throw the book at them, but, um, I don't know what, ter- this is a great one for historians. I'm not exactly sure what the Maple Leafs did to get that suspension chiseled down to, I think it was only ended up being like a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months. But yeah, there's, there is, there is history of this in the NHL. So, so my argument is, is that he was a star and the other two guys weren't. And that's part of the conversation well. that's as well. The ob- that's the obvious one. Yeah. That's the obvious so, one. Yeah. So, Pratt was a star. Um, in the NFL, there, so guys have been suspended for six games. We've seen indefinite suspensions. Uh, Calvin Ridley was the yeah. biggest one. That was uh, not last year. Or it was last year. And he was suspended for the entire year. He actually bet on the NFL, but he, was ta- he took a leave of absence away from the league, and he bet on the NFL in that time and got suspended for a year. Calvin Ridley was also a star. And he got the year. Mm-hmm. These other guys who are not stars, they were practice squad guys, whatever, they got indefinite suspensions. And another player, Jameson Williams, who is a uh he was a first round pick of the Lions, he got six games for betting on sports in the team facility. So it does feel like the 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 bar kind of changes heights depending on who it is that does this. Now, in the case of Shane Pinto, I'd be really curious to see. I mean, again, we're going to have to do the digging ourselves and what the violations were. I just have this feeling that it was in a team facility. Having said that, that would have also had to have happened prior to July 1st because he was not signed, therefore he was not in a team facility yeah. after July 1st. I don't know how far back this goes. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it sounds like I got to really careful here. It sounds like there was an investigation that stretched back into the summer mm-hmm. that really that really hit a new level two or three weeks ago, maybe okay. right around the time the pencil left. So new information. Right? I, 
basically. Right, right, right around there. What do you? Yeah, yeah. So and that's when this went into uh, uh, a different stratosphere. So here's here's where I struggle with this. So we, you know, we talked about the Ottawa Senators. They had the Bet ninety nine, or they had the Bet ninety nine logo on this on their helmet. All the pictures that have Shane Pinto, they'll have that that logo on there. My my problem yeah. is this. What is the difference between betting on sports in a team facility and not if you're not betting on the sport that you play in? I struggle with that. The other one I struggle with is... I'm unclear about that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm unclear about that one. No, but I'm just I, saying I, if I that's what that it too. is. I'm waiting yeah. for someone to tell me... Yeah, like you're sitting around the dressing room and you have your you have your app and boom, you're going for it. As long as it's not hockey... I don't see the I, issue with it. I don't know. Someone someone can edge... You know what? Michael Leboff... Michael Leboff is going to tell it to me. Mike, Michael Leboff. I'm sure he will. And so, and the other yeah. thing is, is the gambling and sports, forget gambling and just the NHL, it's all over. Um, it's very prominent now. So if you advertise, if the NHL is saying, okay, we're fine with being partners with you, but we don't want our players doing this. Like that's also sending kind of a, a, a really weird message eh, here as well. No. Okay. So I, I've thought about that and it doesn't excuse like I look at and this is, you know, one of the reasons why I asked Brian about, you know, um the NHL taking money from beer companies, for mm-hmm. example. The fact that beer companies sponsor, you know, the NHL and teams, et cetera, and initiatives, and this goes way back uh to hockey, you know, various beer companies have always been big supporters of hockey. That doesn't give you license to abuse alcohol or to drink and drive or to do whatever with alcohol you're still expected to be a responsible grown-up and a responsible human being and act accordingly regardless of the fact that it's all around you so that's kind of how i look at this one i get it that that there is um like everywhere you turn right now in hockey because it's it's a new relationship and this is eventually going to settle into a place where everybody is comfortable with it Mm -hmm. um it does seem very much like gambling is quote-unquote everywhere um, but that still doesn't excuse you from, you know, from not abusing it. But then you know what? That does wink at another issue too, which is now um, players who have alcohol problems go to, um, you know, can go to, you know, substance abuse mm-hmm. clinics. And the NHL and the Players Association have a, have a joint program for this. I would imagine they also have one for gambling as well. Well, if they're hiring, I'll take the job of advocating to help people if they want. Anyhow, th- th- this one is going to have this one's going to have a lot of layers, and maybe a lot of people will look at it and point out a lot of hypocrisy. If this, then that, and and I understand that, um, but I don't know that we're getting enough water from the from the from the river to the village on this one yet, because we still don't know yeah. what it is exactly that he did, and I'm. Uh, okay, so Bruce Garriock of The Sun is saying, League sources say Pinto's online gambling account in the United States was flagged by a company that is partner of the league because of unusual activity, and it contacted the NHL's head office recently. Well, unusual activity can be a about, multitude of things. But we've heard about apps turning people in. Yep, that's how, that's how right? like that's, NFL players got suspended. That's not new. No. That's not new. That's not new at all. So I wonder if that could be the the situation here. But again, uh, uh, more more digging required on yeah. this one. I know we got to take a break, but I wanted to put this out there. Our, our pal Paul Patsku just sent us an email. Um, 
president of the Society for International Hockey Research, Fred Addis, actually wrote a book on uh, Gallagher. It's called A Life Suspended. So there you go. There is a book on him. From the greatest research society in the history of hockey, the uh, Society for International Hockey Research. So there we go. If anybody's interested. I've been a member for a long time. I love that group. Great bunch of people. And Paul, as I've mentioned to you before, uh, maybe the the greatest hockey researcher this game has ever had. And a wonderful man. Period. That guy is a and wonderful man and, a, and an absolute treasure. Like, he's the go-to guy, like, whether it's, like, documentaries or movies. Uh, when you want to make sure that the facts are right in your article, book, documentary, movie, whatever, Paul's the guy you call. Paul Pascu, hockey treasure. Uh, we've had on the program uh, before as well. Uh, we'll hit a break, uh, come back with uh, Corey Lavalette. Uh, we'll talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. Any gambling scandals there? Okay, well, we'll just talk about boring old hockey then, I guess. Uh, Corey Lavalette joins me in a moment to talk about the Canes. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Here with you Monday to Friday, noon to 2 Eastern. I want to thank Brian Burke for stopping by. Before him, it was Bruce Boudreau. Before him, it was Ian Mendez on the big story of the day. And that is the 41-game suspension to Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators for gambling violations of the NHL's gambling policy. Okay, so um, as we look for more details in that one, by the way, his suspension, just for all on the same page here, has already begun. So he has already served six games. You don't need to be under contract already for the suspension to kick in. Uh, he's already served six games, 35 more to go, and the NHL will waive the December 1st signing cutoff for Shane Pinto in this situation. So those are a couple of things we wondered about initially, um, and those are the answers to them. Uh, meanwhile, Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, let's talk about them. Uh, from the North State Journal, our good friend Corey Lavalette, who joins me now. Corey, how are you today, pal? Doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, before we get into the Carolina Hurricanes, do you have a thought on the story of the day as it relates to Shane Pinto? Uh, crazy, right? Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of people out there who are wondering how the NHL can suspend a player for uh, gambling when gambling is so prevalent in everything that professional sports does now. But at the same time, and I mean, you know this as a journalist, and so do I, there, there are rules to your profession. And, you know, gambling is a big no-no in, uh, in pro sports, just like, uh, you know, a lot of the rules we have as journalists. So, um yeah, it's a, that's a tough one for Ottawa. I mean, we uh, we saw them here in the in Raleigh in the opener, and they were really thin at center then. Uh, they were down two guys at that point, uh, and now it doesn't get yeah. uh, any better for them. Any better for them? So, uh, tough one, tough one for the Senators for sure. And th- and that was day one of the suspension, and no one knew it outside of the Ottawa Senators and Shane Pinto, who's uh, now served six games. Uh, okay, Carolina Hurricanes have lost three games in a row. 
I don't know that there is outside of, you know, around the Carolina Hurricanes team themselves, um, because just from the outside looking in, we all look at the Hurricanes, Corey, and say, they're going to be fine. There's too good a team there uh, for them not to be fine. Um, how do you feel about Carolina right now? Three and four to kick off the season, under 500, uh, goal differential of dash five. This does not seem like the Carolina Hurricanes we expected and does not really, isn't really playing like a, like a Rod Brindamore type team. Yeah, it's, you know, the word I got from pretty much everybody I spoke to uh, when they got back from that road trip was it's been weird. Um, there's just been a whole bunch of weird circumstances. They're obviously not playing to their abilities. You know, um, to your point, it doesn't look like a Rod Brindamore team right now. Uh, and there haven't been that many new additions. You know, you've got Dmitry Orloff coming in and Brendan Lemieux. Uh, Tony D'Angelo knows how to play the system. you got Michael Bunting. Yeah. Um, but the way Rod wants them to play is if there's, it's almost like a, a game of Jenga. If there's one piece out of place, if one piece gets pulled where it's not supposed to, the whole thing kind of unravels. So, um, you know, they're not, they're not going to push the panic button yet. I thought they played better uh, in Tampa the other night, uh, even though it was a mm-hmm. three nothing loss. And I thought Tampa played, you know, the best I've seen them play this year, um, really limiting what, what Carolina could do. And, and the goals that Tampa scored were, you know, two deflections, what are you going to do uh, about those? So, um, you know, this will be important, these two games at home. And, you know, it's against two two games, They, you know, two teams they should probably beat, the Kraken and and, uh, and San Jose. So two important games. And uh, number 37 might be ready to go tonight. If not tonight, then I would guess tomorrow. And if that's the case, uh, that's obviously a big boost for them. Well, and that's, of course, Andrei Sveshnikov, and you and I have talked about him before. I mean, I, I look at Sveshnikov every year and say, is this the year that finally Sveshnikov wins the Rocket Richard? Because he's that talented, he's that good, he has that good at shot. I'm just, you know, you cross your fingers for health and the opportunity. And listen, if Sveshnikov is good to go, then that's a bonanza uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. How do you read the goaltending situation right now in Carolina, Corey? You know, I, I haven't hated the way Frederick Anderson and Pyotr Kachekov has been. Antti Raza has clearly struggled, and you could tell yesterday in practice that yes. um, his confidence is a little shaken, uh, and that, that has happened to him before. Um, but, you know, I don't think you have to worry that that's going to be a season-long thing with him. Um, it, it hasn't been terrible. It's more To me, it's been more the defensive breakdowns. And then, you know, maybe they're not getting the big save when they need it. Um, not necessarily giving up bad goals. There have been a few, but uh, just maybe lacking that big save a bit. Uh, I thought Kachekov gave that to him in Tampa, made a couple nice stops in that game to keep them in it. Um, obviously, he's been mm-hmm. uh, reassigned back to AHL Syracuse, so uh, it looks like Frederick Anderson's healthy and ready to go, and I would, I would imagine he's going to start tonight, though they didn't hold a morning skate, so I'm not sure. Um, you know, Kachekov's fascinating. I don't think it's like a, the hottest take of the season saying that if the Carolina Hurricanes get there to the, the final finish line by the end of the season, don't be surprised if Kachekov is the, is the starting goaltender. Um, you know, we always talk about blocking and making players earn their spot. And we're not going to give you a spot. You have to take a spot away uh, from an established NHLer. You know, Kelly Rudy talks about this as a goaltender all the time in that Islanders room. And, like, no one's given Billy Smith telling him, like, no one's giving you a spot. Like, no one's just surrendering something to you. It's up to you. 
to take it. How do you see the Kachetkov situation? Because I think a lot of us at the end of last season said, okay, the blocking is done, right? Kachetkov's going to be the goalie, right? Not so fast. Well, and I mean, I know you've talked about this a bit with the Chicago Wolves situation, but it's a it's a weird situation in that, you know, who are you going to get to be your number three goalie if you don't have an AHL team? You know, the the reliable number three goalies, you know, guys we've seen who have bounced around the league, guys like Alex Lyon. Um, you know, most of those guys are in their late 20s or early 30s. They've got families. They don't want to not know where they're going to go if they're in the AHL. Um you know, yeah. it's a lot easier to send a a twenty four year old to uh, to Syracuse than than somebody not knowing you know where they're headed. So I mean, it, in a way that to me that it makes sense that way that um, by having to check costs, by having him not have to clear waivers, you can and you know what AHL team if they have an injury isn't going to want a guy that has already won a Calder Cup that uh, is obviously incredibly talented. Um, not ideal because you want you know staff around him who have his best interest at heart but um yep. you know i think we'll see a lot a lot of this back and forth with him this year and if Antti Ranta continues to struggle you know i wouldn't sure they've got they're one of the few teams that are in my mind contenders that have plenty of cap space so you know just um for any of our listeners or viewers that aren't familiar with the situation the carolina hurricanes uh don't have an ahl affiliate uh this season it was chicago um, they were, and I don't want to, I don't want to get into the hornet's nest that is this, uh, the, the acrimony between the two sides. Um, they weren't able to come to an agreement with the Chicago Wolves, the American Hockey League. The Wolves have gone independent, uh, which leaves Carolina without an AHL affiliate. Some players have decided to go elsewhere. Players have been scattered, uh, all over North America. Some have chosen to go back home, uh, to play. You mentioned, you know, just talking about Kachekov, and that's one of the, you know, the obvious areas, the net mining area, where we're seeing the effects of this Chicago Wolves dynamic. Are there any other places, either now or down the road, where you see this lack of an AHL affiliate, dedicated AHL affiliate, showing up? Like, when are we going to see the effects of this in a profound way? Or are we even going to see them? I mean, it just hinges on how many injuries you end up having. You know, they've got a roster that I think is you know, pretty locked in. Um, I think there's a chance that a guy like Vasily Panamarov could could uh, crack his way into this lineup as a call-up once he's healthy. Obviously, he was going to compete with Jack Drury for that fourth-line center job and then got hurt right at the start of camp, and that, that nixed that. Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, if there's a lot of injuries, then things become more difficult. They, <clears throat> they needed to call up uh, a forward while they were in Colorado, and it just so happened that they, uh, <laughs> after they traded, after they traded Caleb Jones to the Avalanche, and and in one of the weirder yeah. things ever, Caleb Jones and Callahan Burke are teammates, and they were, you know, have been traded for each other, and they're still teammates in the uh, with the Eagles. But um, you know, they just happened to be in Colorado. They had a guy there. They, you know, probably, uh, you know, Uber. Uh, not ideal, like I said, but they have a couple guys I think can jump yeah. in and play uh, if they need them to. Uh, and they have so much depth on defense that even you know losing Brett Pesci, uh, they are really good defense. 
Uh, speaking with Corey Lavalette, uh, covering the Carolina Hurricanes tonight, it is the Hurricanes facing off against the Seattle Kraken. A couple of big games here for Carolina. Need to jump back into the win column uh, after losing three games in a row. Tonight, Seattle, tomorrow against the San Jose Sharks, a team they handed it to last week. Let me ask you about Seth Jarvis. I've only got a couple of minutes left with you here, Corey. Let me ask you about Seth Jarvis. So Elliot and I sat down with him at the NHL Players Tour in Vegas and talk to him about his summer and his, you know, his off season and what he did. And it sounds as if, you know, Seth Jarvis has started to take that next step in his career, uh, cleaned up a lot of his diet that he talked about and, you know, various candies that he no longer eats, uh, anymore. Uh, he did look kind of bigger and stronger than we've seen Seth Jarvis before, um, how do you see Seth Jarvis so far this season? Seven points in seven games. He has to be considered a bright spot. Yeah, I, I didn't love uh, his game in Tampa, but other than that, I think he's been one of their better players. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but last year was kind of a, a rebuild the game from the ground up season for Seth Jarvis. You know, not dissimilar to yeah. Tiger Woods being a, being an incredible golfer and then you know, rebuilding his whole swing to be better. I think that's what they did to make him a uh, mm. 200-foot player. And uh, he's been so good. And you, you're right, he came into camp strong. Um, I, I actually heard your interview with him about the candies, and I had those candies at my house. <laughs> because, <laughs> and my did you throw them out? Started, my son started <laughs> taking weightlifting class in, uh, in high school and decided he didn't <laughs> want to uh, eat any junk food anymore. So I brought Seth a... Uh, one little packet of, of nerds clusters and he was very happy. Uh, but great kid. I oh, mean, that's really, hilarious. um, really good kid and a hard worker. And, you know, Rod Brindamore already trusts them with, you know, without having a right-handed center, they've been using him taking some face-offs, uh, especially with mm-hmm. Naho having some kind of lingering injury that's limiting him, you know, having the ability to take face-offs. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think he's a star in the making. I just, uh, the speed and now the won a a corner battle. You know, I mentioned that I didn't, but he won a corner battle against Victor Hedman that had me shaking my head. I was like, man, what a, what a difference from, you know, two years ago where you had this, this small kid uh, who was using his speed. And now all of a sudden he's really learned how to leverage his body and, and, and do good things in the hard areas. Listen, I've got about 30 seconds for this. Can you give me a hot half minutes on Jesperi Kotkaniemi? Like, it's impossible not to have an opinion on Kotkaniemi. He's uh, also a point-of-game player to kick off the season. Do you have a, a thought on the finish center? I've always really liked his game, um, and I, it probably cost me some <laughs> some points with some people who read my work because I thought last year he might uh, he might have a better season than Vincent Trocek had in New York. That didn't happen. But a lot of that was because of his start. Mm-hmm. Um, he had such a slow start, and uh, this year, obviously, he hasn't. Now, there have been a few miscues, you know, the things we talked about at the top about, you know, making small mistakes that lead to, to big problems. Um, but at the same point, confidence is such a big thing. He and Steph Nason have really found some, some great chemistry together when they've played together or, or worked on the power play together. Um, you know, I, I can see it continuing to develop for him. I and mean, he's, he's still just a kid. It's crazy to think that he's, yeah. you know, you were talking about somebody who just turned, you know, 23 a, a few months ago. Um, so I, I really like his game. I think it continues to evolve. Um, smart player uh, and feistier than I think people give him credit for. 
certainly true. Corey, always a pleasure, my man. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Well, the pair of games, back-to-back here tonight against Seattle, uh, tomorrow against San Jose. Let's, uh, let's keep in touch and get you back on soon. Thanks, pal. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, there he is, the great Corey Lavalette, um, one of my go-tos for Carolina, uh, writes for the North State Journal, uh, writes for The Athletic as well. Uh, he's always been all over the Carolina Hurricanes and just flat out one of my favorite people to talk to, Corey Lavalette. Um, so the headline story of the day is Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators suspended 41 games. Now, Elliot and I uh, already recorded a podcast about this. It's already available at your favorite podcatcher. Uh, Elliot was flying uh, while the show was on today, so unable to join us. Uh, So thank you to Ian Mendez for stopping by to fill us in off the top of the show uh, on the latest with the Ottawa Senators and the Shane Pinto situation. Uh, thanks to Bruce Boudreau, Gabby, for stopping by. We talked a lot about the uh, NHL draft and the, the future of decentralization. And, folks, that's the way it's going. Uh, Boudreau didn't like it. Brian Burke came on. He didn't like it um, either. Thanks to Brian Burke for stopping by, as always, and dropping a little nugget about how him and Stan Kasten once upon a time tried to buy the New York Islanders. Interesting show. Thanks to Frank Baraska, Lance Kennedy, our producer Dave Sis, and our supervising producer Matt Marchese. Merrick show back in 22 hours. Enjoy the games tonight, 11.